0: We have now spent many months together trying to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. We have focused on the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, going all the way back to understanding his work prophesied and predicted that John baptized with water, but you, Jesus said, will be baptized with the Holy Ghost We understood the work of the Spirit in salvation, the work of the Spirit in our sanctification, the work of the Spirit in the giftings, the enablements that he makes for each one of us. And we landed on a definition of spiritual gifts that went something like this. A spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Spirit given to you by Jesus Christ. Why? To edify the body of Christ and to encourage them in their walk with Christ. It is a manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, when you are operating under your spiritual gift, the Spirit is showing up, not you. The Spirit is being seen, not you. And in that work, in that gift that Jesus has specially given you, the exercise of the Spirit in your life, you are edifying, building up, and strengthening the body of Christ in what he has called you to do. And we've talked about all the ways, the different ways these spiritual gifts manifest themselves. They manifest themselves in positions. People who are called to be pastors and teachers, people who are called to hold certain um, positions of leadership in the local church. It is also simply the enablement of service. Service in speaking, service in acting, service in giving. Your service is the manifestation of the Spirit. And we've seen that each one of us are different in that regard. Sometimes I think we are too much to focus on and say, oh, my gift is generosity and that's it, or or, my gift is encouragement, or my gift is exhortation. We think, that's my gift. No, your gift is definitely unique, but it's simply how the Spirit is manifesting itself, himself through you to meet the needs of others. Sometimes the Spirit exercises that gift for you to speak. Sometimes the Spirit exercises that gift for you to give. Now, may there be some special shade that you have where you are just more prone to see and act on gifts that you can give? Yes, and that's okay. But let's not pigeonhole us or the Spirit. Let's recognize that the manifestation of the gift of the Spirit in your life while being unique May it be extremely broad and flexible. We should all seek to be sensitive to the spirit. We then went through the, the, what we would call particularly supernatural or miraculous gifts. And the conclusion we drew is that I think it is difficult to say based on the word of God, that certain of these miraculous gifts have definitively ceased for our age. And nonetheless, we are to govern all of them by the word of God not blindly adopting what someone says, I'm acting according to the spirit, not if it is inconsistent with the, with the word of God. We are to be governed by that word and allow it to speak to us on the claims of spirituality by ourselves and by those around us. We ended on tongues last Sunday evening. We tried to approach this perhaps in a position that won't please many, either on one side of the debate or on the other, but what I'm convinced is the most spiritual one which is to say not to blindly adopt, as I mentioned, the claims to a certain gift that so often in our modern culture look nothing like what the word of God says historically or biblically, and yet at the same time to be sensitive and to be biblically grounded on, whether, on the kind of arguments and the kind of understanding we have about these gifts. Again, this has been the whole system that we have been trying to work through to give us a broader understanding of who the Spirit is and what he does. And when we came time to wrap this series up tonight, I thought what would be useful for us was to focus on three verses that we have touched on so far in our study, but we certainly haven't studied. It's something of a unique set of verses it is appears to be on its face as if Paul is really flexing his apostolic muscle remember Paul had to defend himself and his authority against these Corinthians who wanted to push back and say why would we have to obey you why would we follow you in fact this is even seen more clearly in second in the book of second Corinthians But here, Paul has just gotten done talking about the conduct of women in the local church assembly. He's laid down from some very significant guidelines for the exercise and for the conduct of women in the assembly. And then he says in verse 36, What came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? Verse 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet... Now, what is that? An exercise of a spiritual gift. Or, what's the next word? Spiritual. What does that word mean? Let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Now, I think in that last verse, Paul is having a little play on words here. We might take that as we just read it here to suggest that he's saying, hey, if anyone doesn't want to listen, just just let him not listen. That's not what he's saying. In context, what he's really saying is, if any man wants to ignore me, let him be ignored. You want to be ignorant of what I am saying to you as the commandments of God? Then you will be ignorant. You will be ignored. Ignored. In your local congregation, because the word of God is what I say. And you say, how does that tell us anything? Much less provide a summary of this series on the spirit of God. I want to suggest that Paul is bringing out two strands that sometimes are seen to be in opposition to each other. The spirit and the word. Sometimes those who are in perhaps a more Pentecostal or charismatic movement would say to a church like ours, you have the word, but you don't have the spirit. You need to emphasize the spirit more. Others might say, we have the word uh, and you don't have the word. You may think you have the spirit, but which you don't have the word. What we need to understand, I think, from this passage is the connection between the spirit and the word and to understand that they really, truly are united completely. The title of the message tonight is The Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. If we're going to exercise our spiritual gifts, we can never do it apart from the Word. And even when we have the Word, we can never obey it without being sensitive to the Spirit. Let's start, first of all, with what I'm going to call an attribute. An attribute. Look with me in verse 37 here. If any man think himself to be a prophet... Or spiritual. Now let me ask you this question. What does it mean to be spiritual? You don't have to say that out loud. But I just want you to think internally. If I were to ask you to come up in front of everyone and define that word, spiritual, what would you say? I think we all agree it's a good thing, right? We should all want to be spiritual. Are we in agreement there? Now, How would you go about determining what Paul means when he says spiritual? What does that mean, to be spiritual? Let me suggest one of the principles that all of us need to take into account when we are students of the Bible is we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. If you want to know what the Bible means, what do you go to? The Bible. Now, I want us to see here that this word spiritual is used in other places in 1 Corinthians. Paul wants to make sure the Corinthians understand what it is to be spiritual. And I want us to suggest it tonight. If we want to understand what Paul is saying, if anyone thinks that he is spiritual, we need to go back. This is the way we often use language, isn't it? When I went down to college, in North Carolina, I learned something new. Do you know what those in North Carolina use, the word they use to describe a beverage that is sweet and fizzy and that is highly carbonated? Not soda. Coke. You know, I never understood that. Sir, what would you like? I'll have a Coke. Okay, what kind? A Sprite. Why didn't you just say that in the first place? It would save us an entire step. But if you want to get a pop, sorry, if you want to get a pop in North Carolina, you say, I want a Coke. Now, if you were going to come down to North Carolina and try to understand what on earth they mean when they ask for a Coke, what would you do? You'd go listen around and see how else are people using the word Coke here. I can just get some context and then I'm going to understand what the word Coke is and how it's used here. In the same way, by looking at what this word spiritual is, a Greek word that is pneumatikos, we're going to understand, I think, what Paul means to be spiritual. So first of all, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Notice here what Paul says about this particular attribute. He says, verse 13. Sorry, let's start in verse 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Why do we have the spirit of God? So that we might know certain things that God gives to us freely. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing what? Spiritual things. There's that word again, that same word that Paul uses in chapter 14 that we just read. Same word, spiritual things with spiritual. Uses that word twice. Now, what's he talking about there when he says, we use those words, we speak those words, not the words which man's wisdom teaches, but that which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. He's talking about this, spiritual realities, Spiritual realities. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 1 when Paul has this wonderful prayer about the spiritual realities that the people at Ephesus needed to come into? He wanted them to know the power of God. He wanted them to know the calling of God. And he says, I'm praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would open these things to you. The truth of the matter is spiritual people are alive to spiritual realities, to spiritual concepts that natural people, earthly people, carnal people, are dead to. It would be like this. We sang tonight, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And some of you saying that with a big smile on your face because that spiritual reality is alive to you. You said, I remember when I got saved. I remember when the Holy Spirit indwelt me. It was like I became a completely new person. And then you would go out and tell someone on the street corner and says, do you know what I, I want to tell you about when God came into my life? And they look at you like you had three heads. What are you talking about? That doesn't mean anything to me. God can come into it. What? What is he saying? You are alive to a spiritual reality that other people are completely dead to. So Paul is talking about this idea of being spiritual in connection with spiritual realities. But then Paul goes on to tell us that there are certain people that are spiritual people. Keep on going in that 1 Corinthians chapter 2, will you? Look with, at me with verse 14. But the natural man... Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is, what? Spiritual. There's that word again. He that is spiritual, judgeth all things. He discerns everything, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see the connection. Spiritual people know spiritual realities. Now, I was thinking about an example of this. I was thinking about the athletic space. There are some people that are are supremely gifted athletes because they just see things that other people don't see. It's like if you were a basketball player. The great basketball players are playing on the same basketball court that everyone else is, and yet they see plays happening that no one else dares even try because they can't see it. They say that pass goes right there. No one else on the court understands that pass was supposed to go there, but that person does. Why? Because they're gifted. They have a different kind of reality than everyone else does. I am blessed to have a wife that is gifted in decorating. I look at a blank white wall and I say, that looks totally fine. You know, it's clean, it's nice, and the best part is I don't even have to work at doing anything at all. It'll just sit there. And my wife looks at it and she says, you know what, if we move that over here and we hung that picture there and then we hung this little doohickey that I just created right over here, it's going to look amazing. And then she does it and I say, that looks amazing. That's really good. What's the difference? I don't have that decorating reality. I don't see that. She does. She's alive to a reality that I'm not. Take someone who's a wonderful chef. I can define someone who's a remarkably good chef by when I look down at my plate and I see all kinds of component foods that I know I'm not a big fan of, and then I take one bite of it all together and I say, that's amazing. Why? Because that chef has a reality that I wasn't aware of before, that if you put these foods together at this kind of cooking method with this kinds of spices, it's going to taste amazing. And then it does. And I say, I never would have thought of that. The spiritual person is the one who is alive to spiritual realities that other people are not. And so we should understand that what Paul is saying when he's saying if any of you thinks that he is spiritual, he's talking about people who have this spiritual reality, but not just this. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 12 now. There's another very important way in which Paul is using this word spiritual. In verse one, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts brethren i would not have you ignorant now in your king james bible you might see that that word gifts is italicized do you know what it means when a word is italicized in your king james version It means that it's not there in the Greek, but it is implied. And so the translators put it in, but they let you know this word's not there in the original. Do you know what Paul is really saying? He's saying now about these spiritual things, about these spiritual realities, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. And suddenly, where are we? Into an exercise, into a discussion of spiritual gifts. Now go over to chapter 14 and verse 1. Notice what he says. Follow after charity and desire Spiritual gifts. Again, that word gift is italicized. It's just the Greek word here that we've been focusing on the whole time. Spiritual things, spiritual gifts, spiritual realities. I think what Paul's trying to say is this a spiritual person is one who is alive to spiritual realities and is enabled to manifest them in his own or her own life. You see, it's not just about what you know and think the work of the spirit in a spiritual person. It is for those realities to manifest themselves in helping others, in giving of themselves to others, in being enabled with miraculous divine power to be able to edify others. We're just connecting right into spiritual gifts. A spiritual person is someone who by the spirit of God is alive to spiritual realities that others are not alive to. And because they are alive to spiritual realities, the spirit manifests through them in the enablement of their gifts to minister to others. Now, do you know a lot of us sometimes aren't very spiritual We're not very spiritual because we are not alive to the realities of the spirit of God. Because or because if we are alive, we are being hindered in our exercise of these spiritual gifts that God wants us to bring out. My question for us tonight is, are you spiritual? Are you a spiritual person? Would Paul say, if any man thinks himself to be spiritual, would you raise your hand and say, I think I am Are you alive to spiritual realities day by day? Is the spirit manifesting himself in these abilities, this divine enablement? I want you just to imagine for a moment that someone would be transported to 21st century America today from the 1600s or 1700s. I've often wondered, have you you wondered what someone like Ben Franklin would do if he walked into our modern culture today, someone who is so interested in science and discovery, wouldn't he just be blown away by everything that's been discovered today? I want you to imagine that someone, this person walks into your house and they don't even know what electricity is. And suddenly the light turns on and they say, how did did that happen? They wouldn't be aware. They wouldn't be aware of realities that you are. But not only that, even if they became aware of the realities, they'd look at those two little sockets. They'd look at at your power outlet and they would say, what's that for? And you'd have to say, oh, if you want power, if you want to harness electricity, you plug something in there and then it'll do what you want it to do. You see, there's reality and then there's the practice that manifests itself out. And what Paul here wants these Corinthians to understand is that there's the possibility of being spiritual. Are you Am I? Are we spiritual people? This is an attribute for all of us to pursue. If we are going to exercise spiritual gifts, we've got to be spiritual people. We have to be in tune to spiritual realities and manifesting them in our lives. So first of all, there's this attribute. Are we spiritual people? But notice secondly here, there's an alternative. The alternative is implied because Paul says very interestingly, if any of you think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, why do you think Paul would say if anyone thinks himself to be spiritual? What is he opening up the possibility of? That the person thinks they are and they are not. Friends, what a deception that is. To think I am spiritual And not to be. Do you know this was the Corinthian problem? They were as convinced as anyone that they were spiritual people. Why? Because they were speaking in tongues. Because they had the exercise of these magnificent spiritual gifts that everyone else was wowed by. And they thought, you know, we're really spiritual people. And Paul really had to burst their bubble. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says to them just very directly. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. There's that word again. Same word we've been looking at. As unto spiritual, but as unto what? Carnal. Even as unto babes in Christ. He's saying, I'm not saying you're unbelievers. I'm not saying you're unsaved. I just can't talk to you like spiritual people because you're not alive to spiritual realities. I have fed you with milk and not with meat for hitherto ye were not able to bear it neither yet now are ye able for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions are ye not carnal and walk as men. He's saying you're walking like every other human being around. You're not walking like spiritual people. Friends, here's the simple point I'm trying to make. You and I can think we're spiritual and be carnal We can say, I'm walking according to the Spirit. And the answer of God who knows all things is, No, you're not. You're carnal. You're like a baby in Christ. That should be a sobering reality. That should be a a humbling reality. Friends, I just want to ask myself tonight, as, as to all of you, would you be the first to raise your hand and say, I might be completely deceived about my spirituality? I might be deceived. This is important to note. Not only can someone be, sp- be carnal when they think they're spiritual, do you know what also they can be? They can act carnally, even if they are generally spiritual. All of us have that capacity to act carnally. And what I want to get at here tonight is one understanding how you and I can be in touch with the spirit and spiritual people who are manifesting our spiritual gifts and fighting the carnality that all of us face. How can we avoid the deception where Paul would look at us and say, if you think you're spiritual, understand my commandments. Let me ask you this question tonight. What things hinder our spiritual action? What kind of things make us deceived to act carnally when we think we're acting spiritually? Let's start with the Corinthians, shall we? Let's start first here. Our passions. Our passions. Notice what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Friends, do you know what's a clear indication of our carnality? Our bickering and fighting with other people. Now, Paul did say, as much as is possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. There are, two, there are two people who are required ultimately to live at peace. But Paul says, Paul says where there is envying and strife and you are in part to blame, that's carnal. Listen to the way that James 3 puts it. But if ye have bitter strife and envying in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. What's he saying? If you and I think we're being led by the Spirit and all we're doing is bringing envying and strife, it's not the Spirit. It's carnal. Don't blame that on the Spirit. Spirit's not telling you to do that. That's the point. Our passions, particularly in anger and irritation and all the things that flow from that, our desire to be exalted ultimately can lead us and show us that we are being entirely carnal when we think we're spiritual. You know, there's wonderful biblical examples of this. I shouldn't say wonderful, but helpful. Matthew chapter 16, Peter has just testified to Jesus. You are the Christ. He has stood firm, on who Jesus is and then Jesus tells them I'm going to go up to Jerusalem I'm going to be tried and I'm going to be killed by the elders and what does Peter immediately begin doing Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying be it far from thee Lord this shall not be unto thee now can't you see Peter's sincerity here Jesus I'm just trying to help you I'm trying to I'm trying to encourage you here's what Jesus says get thee behind me Satan Thou art an offense unto me, a hindrance, a stumbling block unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter, you think you're acting spiritually here, but you're act- actually acting devilishly. That was Peter. There's another example in Luke chapter 9. Do you remember, we just read it in our Bible reading recently. Jesus is going through a village of the Samaritans on his face. His face is steadfastly set to go to Jerusalem. And the people that were there in this village did not receive him. And what did James and John say? Jesus, we've got a really spiritual idea for you. Shall we send fire down from heaven and devour them just like Elijah did? Remember when Elijah was up on the mountain, sent the fire of God down. God sent the fire to... To kill those soldiers that were coming to arrest him? They thought, hey, great idea. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. He rebuked them. You don't know what spirit you're of. They thought they were acting spiritually. What did Jesus say? No, you're acting carnally. You don't know the spirit that you're of. Why? For the son of man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That can be us, our passions. Even, sadly, it can be seen in uh, the deception of our own fleshly lusts. It was a horrific thing recently. as Some of us have heard the, the um, things that have come out from Ravi Zacharias's life after his death. Really, really horrific sin that was hidden and covered for many years. And one thing that was particularly poignant to me was one of the women that he was pursuing in immorality said, uh, uh, said to those who were looking into it that he told her, this is my reward for a lifetime of service of God. This is my reward. And I thought, what incredible deception for someone who certainly in many ways appeared to be a very spiritual man, but in this particular regard, utterly blinded by fleshly lusts to what the spiritual thing to do in that situation was. Friends, it is so dangerous. Our passions, our lusts, our desires to blind us. Not only our passion, secondly, our pride. Our pride. What was the dominant sin of those at Corinth? It was pride. Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I'm teaching you these things so that you'll learn not to be puffed up of one against another. What was their exercise of spiritual gifts? All about pride. What was the most showy one? What was the most important one? They all wanted that gift that would allow others to think of them better. This is why in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells them the eye needs the hand. The foot needs the, the, the arm. We all need each other. Don't think that you are special or elevated against someone else. This is why in 1 Corinthians 13, he takes such pains to remind them that charity envies not charity vaunts not itself is not puffed up they thought they were spiritual but in the exercise of their pride and their selfish advancement they were carnal and they didn't know it this doesn't just exercise itself in desiring to be advanced it exercises itself in the fear of man too do you remember peter again galatians chapter 2 Peter was, if you were to put one of the most influential members, the most spiritual man in all of our New Testament, Peter after Pentecost would have to be right there. And what happens in Galatians chapter 2? Listen to what. Paul says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, these Jewish observers, he did eat with the Gentiles. He communed, he had fellowship with them. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, the fear of man. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Peter and Barnabas, two of the most spiritual men in all of the New Testament, by by virtue of their pride, their fear of man, they acted incredibly carnally in a way that had a huge influence on others. What am I saying here? If Peter or Barnabas could be that deceived, what about you and me? How much humility do we need to have to say, I could be in that same place of deception? It's not just our passion, it's not just our pride, it's our prejudice. And friends, I'm convinced this is one of the most blinding areas of all. I think of Jonah, a man, a prophet of God who is used greatly of God, who could not stand the Assyrians. He hated them so much in his own national and ethnic prejudice against them that when God sent him to preach to the Ninevites, not finally when God used a great fish to get him back on the track, listen to what scripture says. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. Here's a prophet, a man who was used to getting divine revelation from God and when his message was heard, he was so blinded by his own prejudice that it made him furious. Wow. And friends, we need to have the humility to know that your prejudice and mine can blind us exceptionally no matter how spiritual we are in other areas of life. It is a tragedy, friends, that we just have to reckon with. That when we look back at some of the great heroes of our Christian faith, men who were spiritual in many areas of our life, they were exceptionally blinded in this regard. I think of two of the great heroes of the first great awakening. George Whitefield, Jonathan Edwards, men who have done so much for the cause of Christ, who had so much sensitivity to the spirit, who knew the reviving work of the spirit in an incredibly deep way. George Whitefield was a slave owner. He became an advocate, a defender of, the, of slavery in Georgia, in the state of Georgia. Jonathan Edwards owned slaves, one or two slaves. Now, we can find balancing truths in the way they approached this issue. But I think any of us would be forced to look at that and say, they were blinded. They were blinded to the realities of what the spirit wanted from them. We think of key men in the fundamental movement in the 1950s and 1960s, men who did much for God and in some ways were very spiritual. I'm sure more spiritual than I am. And yet they came out publicly supporting Jim Crow laws and the forced segregation of black and white Americans. Now friends, we don't say this to, in a sense, cast away everything else that they did for the cause of Christ. But to say, if these men and women could be deceived by their own prejudices, how much more me? How much more you? How humble should we be today to say, God, where might my prejudices today be blinding me to act in carnal ways, in unspiritual ways that I don't even see, but others will? Decades from now. Friends, this is a very sobering reality for me. And I hope it's a very sobering reality from us because it is so easy, especially friends, when we are opinionated people. I'll raise my hand there. I have strong opinions on things. And I'll tell you what is so necessary for me is to say, particularly when I'm feeling most opinionated about something, is to check myself and say, Is it my pride? Is it my passion? Is it my prejudice? Am I being carnal? Or am I truly looking at this in a spiritual way? Remember what Paul says here. If any man thinks that he is spiritual, if any man thinks that he is spiritual, oh, may all of us desire to be spiritual. May all of us pursue it. But may all of us have the humility to say that even in when I feel so strongly that I am right, I may be deceived, I may be carnal, and I may be affecting others in that same regard. First of all, an attribute. Secondly, an alternative. And thirdly, an authority. I want us to make sure we're understanding Paul's thought here. If any of you think himself to be spiritual, what does he go on to say? Let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. What's he saying there? What commandments has he just been given? He's been giving us commandments about how to regulate tongue speaking in the church, about how to regulate prophecy in the church at Corinth. It's as if he's saying this. Some of you think that you're really spiritual. But if you're getting up as the fourth one to exercise tongue speaking and you don't have an interpreter, then be quiet. Because what I'm giving you in regulating tongue speaking is the commandment of the Lord. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead you to do something differently than what I'm telling here. If you are fourth in line and there's no interpreter and you think that the Spirit of God is telling you to speak, he's not because what I am telling you here in this chapter are the commandments of God for you. Those are some serious words. Those are some serious words for Paul to be saying, if you think you're spiritual, you're going to agree with me here because I have the word of God. Now friends, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? What principle do we draw out of that? I want to suggest this. If you want to exercise your spiritual gifts. They need to be informed by and governed by the word of God. If you want to be a spiritual person in the way you think and the way you speak and the way you act. It's going to come from being informed by and governed by this book. And that is simply the end of the story. That is to say. To be informed by the word of God means to have the word of God tell you who the spirit is and how he acts. You know who the spirit is. You know what he's like. And to be governed by the word of God is to be that when you feel even very strongly that you are supposed to exercise the spirit in this way. And it's inconsistent with this word that you say, okay, I'll stop. That's not the spirit. I don't care how deeply I feel it. I don't don't care how passionately I feel it. If it's not not consistent with this book, it's not the spirit. It's my carnality. Do you see? Informed by and governed by. I was thinking about this as, as an example. In my practice as a lawyer, I have noticed that those who are young lawyers don't always, I was in the exact same place, And still am in certain ways. Young lawyers don't have a great uh, uh, ear for what's going to be a winning argument. They have a difficult time distinguishing the material from the immaterial. They they get excited about an argument. They say, this is our winning argument. And the senior lawyer just looks at it and says, no, it's not. You You say to the senior lawyer, how do you know? I just know. How does that senior lawyer know? Because he or she's been doing it for a long time. They've been making arguments for a long time. They know how judges think. They know how the law works. And they look at that argument and say, it might seem really persuasive to you, but that's not it. Let's try this one. And then they win. Why? Because they've been informed by and they're being governed by something. And what I'm suggesting to you tonight is that in order to be a spiritual person who is exercising your spiritual gifts, you need to be like that spiritual lawyer or to be like that lawyer. You need to be saying, that's not the spirit that I'm I'm feeling right now. That's my carnality. That is the spirit right there. That's how he acts. He's telling me to do that right now. That's consistent with the word of God. Be informed by and be governed by. The word of God. Let me give you just, I think, a specific example. Do you remember in 1 Peter 4, Peter says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him speak as the oracles of God. What does that mean? Let me speak God's words. Speak as if at the mouth of God. Let me ask you this question, friends. How do you know whether you're speaking at the mouth of God? How do you know what's coming out of you are God's words? Well, it may be straight from the Bible, but that's not all of the ways we use our speech. Let me give you an example. How would I be informed by the word of God? Well, let's say that I feel very strongly that I'm supposed to speak about something or write an email or send a message to someone, shoot them a text. And then I step back and I ask myself, Peter, what's actually underlying these words? And I step back and I say, Peter, you're really irritated right now, are not you? You're really hot under the collar. You're angry. You may even be bitter right now. Peter, that's not the spirit. The spirit isn't irritated. The spirit isn't bitter. That kind of envying and strife doesn't come from above. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish. I better not send that email. I better wait until I'm not irritated, until I'm in complete control of my emotions because the fruit of the spirit is self-control. I'm not going to do that. What just happened in that moment? God willing, I was informed by the spirit because I know who the spirit is. We've been studying him for months. I hope we have learned a little bit more about what he is like. And then I've been governed by the spirit because i say, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to send that because that's not the spirit. That's me being carnal. Do you see? What about in my, if I have a gift of generosity What about if in my gift of generosity, I'm not sensitive to the spirit. I'm not prompted by the spirit to be generous to people, but it's simply because of my carnality. What do I need to do? I need to go to the word of God to understand how the spirit moves people in generosity. I need to go to the word of God to be informed by the word that sometimes God calls us to be generous, not out of our surplus, what is left over, but to be generous to people out of our sacrifice. I need to be informed by the word of God, that sometimes God is going to challenge me in areas to go without so that someone may have. And then I might be in touch with the spirit to say, oh, now I am sensitive to the spirit in that way because I've been informed by the word and he has sent me out in a new way to be governed by him. What about if every area of your life and my life was just like that? In the words we used, in the entertainment we brought into our life, in the conversations we had around the water cooler at work, in ministering to someone in our Sunday school class or outside of our Sunday school class, in our dealings with our kids, our grandkids, our submission to our parents. What about if in each of those ways, our words and our actions were going through a filter that was informed by the spirit of God to say, nope, that's not the spirit. That's my carnality. And then governed by the spirit to say, spirit of God, if that's my carnality, I'm not going to do it. What if? Do you know what that would look like? You'd be a spiritual person. You'd be in tune to spiritual realities. And the spirit would be manifesting himself through your life by being informed by and governed by the word of God. Do you want to be spiritual? That's what it means to be spiritual. In touch with the Spirit of God, yes, always informed by and governed by the Word of God. You see, what we need to understand about the Spirit and the Word is that they're never in contradiction to one another, they're always in perfect unity, always in perfect harmony. Do you remember what Jesus said? We looked at this just briefly this morning or at least read it in John 6. Jesus says, it is the spirit that quickeneth, that brings to life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. There's no distinction between the spirit and the word. How do you understand the word? The spirit. How do you obey the word? The spirit. How do you know the spirit? The word. How do you obey the spirit? The word. The words of Jesus are spirit and the words of Jesus are life. And the spirit of God is the one who quickens you to understand and apply the word. And in our sensitivity and obedience to the word, we're in sensitivity and obedience to the spirit and in sensitivity and obedience to the spirit, we are in sensitivity and obedience to the word. These are never opponents. These are always friends. And what does that mean for the way that you and I live as spiritual lives? Where do we leave our study on spiritual gifts? It is with this, I hope, spiritual reality for you. That if you are a Christian here tonight, God has miraculously granted you spiritual gift, spiritual enablement to build up the kingdom of God By edifying others around you. Do you believe that? Is that spiritual reality alive to you? That you have spiritual enablement if you're a Christian here today? I hope so. The reality of that is that in that enablement that God has given you. You may act spiritually with what he has given you. And you may act carnally. To know the difference between those two things, I must be sensitive to the Spirit. By being sensitive to the Spirit, I must be informed by and governed by this book. That tells me how to distinguish how the spirit operates, not by how passionately I feel, not by how much emotion I have behind it, but whether it is consistent with how the spirit reveals himself to us, what he is like in the word of God. And friend, when there is a marriage in our lives of spirit and word, word and spirit. That is when you and I are regularly going to manifest the Spirit in a way that is edifying to you and that is glorifying to the one who gave you that spiritual gift. What Straight Gate Church needs, what the body of Christ needs today, are spiritual people. May it be us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For the spirit and the word, for the word and the spirit. Father, the words of Jesus are spirit and they are life. The words that you have given to us are those spiritual things. Father, we need to be spiritual people. Father, would you reveal to us clearly where we're carnal. Carnal in our passions and lusts. Carnal in our pride, carnal in our prejudice. Father, we need to be people of your word who know your spirit, who are sensitive to his leading. May we be spiritual people, we pray. Let's pause. What is the Spirit of God showing you from the Word of God tonight? What areas of carnality needs to, need to be repented of and turned from? What areas of spirituality, true spirituality, what spiritual realities need to become more alive to you tonight? May the Spirit quicken us tonight. Father, thank you for those things that have been spiritually given to us. May we be those spiritual people that are manifesting your spirit in each moment of the day. May we edify the body of Christ here and around the world, as you would call us to, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.